pelvic floor is supposed to keep us dry, but you don't notice when it does because that's what it's supposed to be doing. But when it doesn't work, it's basically, it's leaking urine, having irresistible urges to empty your bowels or empty your bladder, and it's painful sex. Hi friends, we're going to be talking today about how we can support both young girls and women of all ages in sport much more than we currently are doing. Women in sport recently found that more than 1 million teenage girls, or 43%, who once considered themselves sporty, actually end up disengaging from sport following primary school. The reasons cited were a feeling of being judged by others, lack of confidence, pressures of schoolwork, and not feeling safe outside. Women in Sport actually surveyed 4,000 teenage girls and boys as part of its research work, Reframing Sport for Teenage Girls, and this was funded by Sport England. It found that 43% of teenage girls who once actively engaged with and enjoyed sport were being sidelined in their teenage years, and they felt they were being made to feel not good enough, compared with just 24% of boys the same age. The research also found that there's a complex barrier and some deep-rooted negative attitudes that are really affecting girls' enjoyment of sport. Both body image and puberty are significant factors. And unfortunately, 78% of girls said that they avoid sport when they have their period. And 73% of them don't like others watching them. Now, my daughter is currently very into her sport, so this is very close to my heart. And I'm keen to see more support in schools and clubs to support young girls. So I'm really delighted to welcome to the show Baz Moffat, who is an inspiring women's health and fitness coach specializing in the areas of pelvic floor, core, nutrition and women's wellness. Baz is also a former elite rower and medalist with GB Rowing. She has a ton of experience and her holistic approach focuses on prenatal, postnatal, perimenopausal and menopausal women with one common goal to help women move freely and embrace life. She's also one of the authors of the brand new book, The Female Body Bible, A Revolution in Women's Health and Fitness, which recently made the Sunday Times bestseller list. I learned a ton on this podcast. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, can I ask a favor? Please share it with others you think it may help so we can better support both young girls and women of all ages. Without further delay, let me introduce you now to Baz Moffat. So Baz, it's absolutely wonderful to have you here. We were just chatting offline and I'm really excited. I don't think we've had anyone come on the show before and talk about women's health from, from quite the angle that you're looking at it. In particular, I want to dive into pelvic health. Um, but firstly, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here today. Thank you very much for having me. Um, let's start with your background, because I know you were an elite athlete. You were a rower for many years competing in the Olympics. Um, tell us a little bit about your story and your journey and how you've kind of arrived at where you are today with the release of the new book, The Female Body Bible. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I've always been sporty, always loved sport. I had an absolute just just dream as a child to like be an international athlete. I thought I was going to do it with athletics. That was kind of like the thing that I um, did as a teenager. Um, did not know it at the time absolutely in hindsight massively suffered with reds like as a as a teenager going into my early 20s so gave up sport um got this got this corporate job and started rowing and just like just did it for fun just wanted to kind of I didn't think I'd ever I thought I started too old in my life I didn't really think I'd get onto any kind of like program or talent ID program and but actually was all right at it and kind of like gave it a really good go and managed to get onto the British team in the women's eight and it was the time of um you know lottery funding had was all in we you know we you were fully funded the British rowing team were doing absolutely brilliantly well like everyone was meddling at world championship level and and, and Olympic level 
And so it was a really exciting time to be part of that squad. Um, I was, um, I, yeah, I always describe myself as like probably the last person to be selected into that team. And then so psychologically that puts you in a very different situation to anyone that kind of feels that they are definitely in the team. I was very well aware that I had, you know, a good, a good number of girls like clambering below me to get into that spot. So it was a quite a nervous place for me to be in. Um, but I, um, yeah, I, I adored it. And it was, it was, I mean, the, the training was brutal, as you can imagine. It was kind of, you know, six, seven days a week, two, three sessions a day, like hundreds of kilometers on the rowing machine, hundreds of kilometers on, on, on the water, strength and conditioning, everything all in. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's, that was my, that was my experience of elite sport. And then I retired from sport in 2008, set up a personal training business, had two children a few years later, and got very into pelvic health after having those children, but very quickly moved out, not out of, but but broadened um, my work from that sort of pre and postnatal pelvic health zone into menopause, post hysterectomy, young women, people that were doing um, loads of high performance sport and having pelvic health issues. And, and that's where my passion was really ignited in this space. Awesome. Oh my goodness. There's a lot there that I think we could talk about. <laughs> That's so fascinating. And really like such an inspiring story that you came to the sport so, so late and got selected. That's really incredible. You talk yeah. there about the fact that you like the psychology of being selected late and how that affected you. I think as women, quite often, we kind of undervalue ourselves anyway. Tell me a bit more about that and how you felt and how you kind of did you have professional psychologists and people helping you to really master your kind of inner game? What did that look like? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was probably as good as you thought it should be. Do you know, like, I think it was kind of, there was a bit of that, but it was very focused on, um, there wasn't much space for me as an individual, if that makes sense. It was very, the sports psychology was very focused on, like, how do you stay focused in a race? How do we get, how do we get our game face on? Like, how do we bring, it was very sports psychology orientated. That space for, like, me to go, I don't know if I want to do this anymore or I don't know if I'm good enough or I'm really worried that I'm not going to get, I, I get really nervous at trials and it, I get so nervous that it's affecting my performance. I didn't feel there was a space to address that. And I think that, um, and I, and I do feel that that has massively shifted in that world of elite sport now over the last sort of 10, 15 years that people are able to bring their true authentic self into those spaces and don't have to pretend the whole time within the system that they're coping just fine. Detoxification is so important now more than ever with the number of toxins we are exposed to daily in our food, water, personal care products and environment. No matter how careful we are, it's impossible to totally get away from the chemicals. And we also have to think about detoxifying the toxins we produce through cellular respiration and clearing excess hormones like estrogen. Our skin is one of the key ways we detoxify, and that's why I love to include sauna as part of my weekly routine. But going to a facility with a sauna can be time-consuming, and investing in one yourself has been expensive in the past. That's why I love Bond Charge's sauna blanket. It has so many benefits, from raising your heart rate to that of physical exercise, so you burn calories whilst you relax. You can burn up to 600 calories in just one session. The sweating helps flush out heavy metals and other toxins, and the infrared light, which heats the body directly rather than the air around you, meaning you get the same benefits at a lower heat. 
Bond Charge's sauna blanket is easy to set up, taking less than a minute. It heats up rapidly and you can enjoy a session for 30 to 40 minutes whilst relaxing, reading, watching TV or even meditating. So you can truly stack your hacks. Bond Charge's sauna blanket is also low EMF compared to other brands on the market and it's the quickest on the market to heat up. So it's an easy thing to fit in. When I'm not working out in the morning, you'll find me meditating in my Bond Charge sauna blanket with their red light therapy mask on my face, boosting collagen while I relax. And Bond Charge are giving listeners of this podcast 20% off their sauna blankets, red light therapy devices and other wellness products. Bond Charge ship worldwide in rapid time with free shipping on every sauna blanket and 12 months warranty. Simply go to bondcharge.com forward slash Angela and enter code Angela20 at checkout. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E dot com forward slash A-N-G-E-L-A and use code Angela20 to save yourself 20%. What about the fact that you're working and you're training two, three times a day? I mean, that's a huge load. Many of my listeners are familiar with you know, the fact that women, as Stacey Sims says, you know, we're not small men, we do have a menstrual cycle, we have hormones, and actually overstressing the system can be quite Mm. challenging in itself. How was that kind of showing up for you at that time? Yeah, so I think I was, there was only one year when I was doing that. There was one year where I was kind of on the edge of the squad, and you're like having to pretend that you're not working, you have to kind of pretend that you're you're not working, because you have to be fully available for that team selection, for that team situation. And then, um, and so you are absolutely having to balance everything. Um, and that, but then once you were in the squad, I was fully funded. So I wasn't having to work. And that was, that was the big difference that lottery funding made was meant that basically you just were able to do more rest and recovery and you were able to do on more, um, you were able to go on more training camps and you were able to, you know, you were able to have those support systems in place, which you just don't get if, you are not fully funded and part of a centralised programme. So you find in you know the likes of women's football and women's rugby and women's cricket, actually most of those players do not earn a salary or, a, or an income from their sport, which allows them not to work. And so they are part-time PE teachers, part-time policemen, part-time whatever, and then having to manage those shifts and that work pattern and having to train around it. And that is, that is really, really huge. Yeah, hugely challenging. Mm. And what about um, looking at kind of that, that load if you like in terms of that physiological load the amount and the volume of training that you're doing um how did you find kind of balancing your hormones at that point were you encouraged to take things like birth control uh to limit kind of fluctuations i mean i was in a i'm i was in a lucky sport where you there were there were there is disordered eating and there are people do have tricky relationships with food but broadly speaking rowing is a really healthy sport with that respect because the body you know the body image of an elite rower is like a powerhouse an absolute powerhouse and you don't have that really lean aesthetic that everyone is attempting to be or you know that tiny tiny aesthetic and also you're, you're not wearing a bra and a pair of pants you're wearing like a full-on rowing suit that kind of like so that you don't really get that necessarily um there was there was no discussions there was no discussions around menstrual cycles there was no discussions around hormonal contraception i started to get um sort of acne on my back and there was literally just a girl in the changing room and said oh Baz, you've got some spots on your back you should go to your gp and ask for this i'm like okay then but at no point did i then tell the sports doctor that i was doing this or tell my coach that i was doing this or even open up that conversation it's like what what are the pros of taking that and what are the cons of taking that 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 was just like oh I've got spots on my back and I don't want them I'll go and sort that out with my NHS GP I won't 
I won't bring that into the system. Whereas now when we're working with the elite teams, that is happening. Like we are saying, right, you know, it's a drug, you're taking it. Let's, let's weigh up like the pros and the cons of this. And like, let's work through that. But I think that from a mental cycle, so I did go on the pill, but before the pill, I had a regular cycle, even with that training load. And I think that was because you just eat, you have to eat so much and there's a, and everyone is so there's not a there's not a mentality of like deprivation or fasted training or any of that like there's just this culture of like you you know you have there's a thing about the, there's this term of second breakfast and I still have, we always have second breakfast in our house there's second breakfast there's probably second lunch there's second dinner it's just a culture where you know people do eat a lot and were you given specific macros at that point were you encouraged to eat a certain amount of protein certain amount of carbs to fuel that training or what did that look like um so i think the um we were um it wasn't down to like your grams or the kind of you know how much you weighed compared to how much you know how many how much you should be eating it was definitely a timing thing so we were definitely encouraged to like have you know a certain kind of um drink before like within 15 minutes of finishing our training and then working with the um and then going straight into breakfast and making sure we're eating enough but it wasn't it wasn't prescribed and I think that you know again I think it's because we were eating so much and they did very much focus on food which was just brilliant so there was a real again it was a long time ago we forget how this space has evolved like Mm. there were there was LucasAid and there was SIS but that was kind of it like there wasn't that many brands or products in this space into like giving you all of this all you know all of these products that were available really it was mostly coming from food it was kind of like and I think we were quite we didn't have that much there wasn't that much stuff available and also everyone was you know back then again uh the drugs thing was it was the first time that that, that um that the drugs testing came in the kind of the spot check testing and so everyone was just absolutely paranoid of like anything that like not consuming anything that wasn't food because like the fear of like you know getting a positive drugs test mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, of course. So what about Len? Let, we were talking earlier about uh, you've got kids. I've got kids. My daughter is very much into a, a range of sports at this age. She's she's 11 years old. I think it would be interesting for listeners who maybe have daughters themselves who are very athletic and are doing a high volume of training. I know that you go in, you speak to organizations and you speak to schools and you're trying to educate the female audience really to mm. to inspire them and, and, and educate and and change the conversation, if you like. What do you think young girls need to be thinking about? Um, I've when they're just really come into from it? a primary school. I've come from a primary school. I've just talked with year fives and year sixes. And um, girls need to un- be given a space to understand their bodies. And I think there is such, like, so, you know, the, some of the girls I was talking to in year five and six have already started their periods. Now, some of them in that class will not be starting their periods till they're more like in year eight or year nine or in even later so there's a there's a huge timeline in terms of like what when puberty happens and when some girls breasts are developing quite quite you know um quite quickly and others haven't started yet but this is real you're not it's not all happening to everybody in that same year group it can be like what's normal what's not normal I don't understand this um I think they they need to be given lots and lots of time and space and practical examples and practical support about what can they be do- what what's going to be happening to their bodies and what can they do to make sure that um that they keep doing sport and they keep being active and they keep doing exercise and an understanding of coaches that actually when girls go through puberty that like 
their bodies are totally different. It's not, it's a totally different experience to a boy's experience of going through puberty when they get stronger and their bones get denser and, and all of like for girls, they, they get longer and they get less coordinated. And so if you've got a girl who's on a, a talent pathway or, or even, even believes she is, or, you know, has that ambition to be, or actually is actually they're, they need to be really managed well to keep them, to keep them active and keep them on keep them in that system um, and I think that's something that we've we've got the statistics about how 64% of girls will drop out of sport by the end of puberty we actually don't really have those solutions but I think that and uh, but but from the talks we're doing in schools there's a huge amount of energy to really support those girls especially in years nine and ten where we just see like the the uh, the participation rates absolutely plummet and is that in all sports or specific sports? Like I can imagine for girls, girls probably become less keen on swimming, for example, because yeah. of the, I mean, the hassle um, factor. Those people talk like anyone is today. There are swimming period con- uh, swimming period costumes which are an absolute game changer. So you, like like period pants, you can get a swimming costume which girls can wear in the pool. No one knows about it. It it you know it works exactly the same as period pants, and that really really helps. But yeah, th- there are. I think the sports were, I don't, you know, I don't know, I can't throw um, uh, statistics at you, but the sports where you've got, it's the sports where girls like are wearing really tight fitting clothing, when girls are wearing light clothing, that they, you know, they've had an, if they've leaked, like if they've, if they've come on their period playing tennis and it's a really light, you know, and they and they, they weren't allowed to leave the court to go to the toilet or they were, they were horse riding or something where they kind of like, they leaked and they weren't allowed to, stop then they're not going to come back like they're not going to come back like it's too embarrassing for them so um they're yeah I think that there's a huge it's a huge issue when it comes to girls going through puberty and I think we're kind of we've been addressing it with it with brilliant health promotion campaigns with kind of like more diversity more diverse imagery more kind of like options available to them but what we haven't done is really gone in any depth with the female health piece and what about puberty? Obviously, you're talking there, there is a huge disparity in terms of when a girl goes through puberty. Do you think that that age is, there's, I mean, my understanding is that actually we've always had girls go through puberty at quite a young age. You know, I think um, there's a lot of talk about whether that's to do with chemicals and toxins mm. and estrogen mimickers. Um, what have you found from your research? Like, what, what are the key factors that are determining the age at which a girl goes through puberty? I think genetics plays a, a, a large part in it. So like when your when your mother went through puberty or when your sisters or you know those connected with you um go goes through it. I um and I think that you know g- girls are big girls are bigger, so we're eating more, like we're eating more, which is having an impact on when people are going through puberty. I don't I think it's just what we're it's I, I don't know what the what the reasons are. I think it's multifactorial, and, and the things that you mentioned are obviously a, a factor within that. But it's definitely true, and especially in certain cultures, that actually those girls do also go through puberty much earlier, and, and they also mature much earlier. So you, you find in netball, you just said that actually certain cultures will develop like quicker, and then suddenly they're always playing in defence, and it's like, well, they're always playing in defence, but only because, but then they play in defence, but then. That's only because they develop quicker, but then they stay in defense. So it's that kind of like, how can we just really understand like what it's not, it's because they're, they're early in puberty, not because that's where they're going to end up. Does that make sense? It's just, we kind of like have to really have an open mind and, and support girls going through this entire life stage. And why would that affect them playing in defense? 
because they're big. So if you've got a girl that's gone through puberty and has grown bigger and like is growing stronger, like she's going to be kind of like two years ahead, if that makes sense, of the girl that hasn't done it. And so she she's just taller and bigger and being able to play that position better. Um, and then, okay. but then she just stays there. One of the many benefits of being part of my membership, the Female Biohacker Collective, is that you get to ask my special podcast guests your questions. And my members had the wonderful opportunity of asking Dr. Mindy Peltz their questions in relation to fasting, optimizing around the menstrual cycle, and perimenopause, and a whole lot more. If you'd like to be part of an amazing community of women and get your questions answered alongside monthly live masterclasses, biohacking toolkits, and live challenges with me and my team, then head over to www.femalebiohacker.com to learn more. That's www.femalebiohacker.com to learn more. And what about um, you th- when you're when you're educating girls in terms of staying in sport? Mm. What do you think are going to be the key factors that? We as mothers, as, you know, people going in, working, any personal trainers listening to this, any coaches, teachers, how can we help girls? Yeah, I think it's um, not dealing with the situation when it happens. So it's not dealing with someone coming on their period. Obviously, you do have to deal in it moment, but it's being really proactive. So it's proactively having a talk at the start of the year about how important it is to wear a sports bra. And it's saying, right, do you know what? We know that many of you aren't wearing sports bras. We all need to be wearing sports bras. Put it on the kit list. Put it on the school. Put it in the school uniform shop. Put have an expectation that we wear bras. Have a conversation. Have have free and available sanitary products all over the place. Not just in a lock. Not just in a locker behind reception, but all wherever a girl is moving and doing sport. Make sure that she knows she doesn't have to ask anybody. She has access to that kit. Make sure no one's playing in white kit. Make sure we just get rid of all white shorts, uh, jobpers, like all light jobpers, cricket whites, all of that. We just get because that produces a lot of anxiety for girls. Mm. And then having having really open. I you know I've just been to the school today and they're like, oh, will you talk to the boys and the girls together? I said no, I won't because it's not because the boys don't need to know this. I absolutely I'll do an assembly with everybody in that room, but the girls need really really safe places where they can ask every single question they want to without the fear of people laughing or mocking them and I think it's we have to actively manage and just open up these conversations and create spaces where girls can talk the whole time and instead of instead of a girl saying I've got my period I'm not coming today go deeper with that and say oh like why is that stopping you but why why is that is it because you you're at you you know you're in that third of the population that has heavy menstrual bleeding and actually you have to change your product every hour or every hour and a half and you can't work out practically how to do that is it because you have big tummy cramps and and that's you're in a lot of pain with that is it because you just feel really bloated and unmotivated to train today like what 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 is what is the effect the period is having on you and how can I as someone who's coaching and supporting you help you manage that and I think that we just say I've got my period Mm, done and and we need to go deeper into that conversation wouldn't that be amazing if they had everything available and as you say I think you know I already noticed (laughs) my they do do they because I mean I already noticed my daughter's in in year six and she's talking about you know some of the girls don't feel comfortable coming in in their cricket whites and it did occur to me I was like there could be a you know a very very valid reason for this and that's really uncomfortable because you're out on the cricket pitch for two three hours like they're not short matches no Um, they're not and it's a lot for an 11 year old maybe to cope with the the rule is that you can't leave like uh, 
it will be different at school level but like when you get to like count you know proper level you can't leave the field of play to go to the toilet so just imagine you know we know that 90% of women will have come on their period, girls and women will have come on their period unexpectedly at some point in their life. Now, that's not because they're unorganised or don't understand their bodies. It's just because that's, our bodies are not robots. And you know, sometimes, especially during puberty, especially during perimenopause, it's a hormonal roller coaster, isn't it? And our body, we just don't know when these periods are going to be coming. And um, I took into the school today, like, loads of period pants and I just threw them around the room I said girls feel this feel these period pants how amazing are these period pants you can wear these period pants they absorb four tampons worth of blood or four sanitary pads worth of blood you can put that on at the start of the day and not have a worry in the world about the fact that you can get through your cricket match you can get through your school day with one product and and they can and they're like oh my goodness that's incredible that's amazing you could see that they were feeling it going god that's really thin it's it's slightly thicker than a gusset on a normal pair of pants but it's not that much thicker and they and it just really gave them the reassurance that no one would see or smell that they've got these period pants on it would just be like something that they could put on and you could wear them under cricket whites and you could wear them under PE kit and it would be absolutely fine is there any concern with period pants around chemicals I saw something about one company having I think a lawsuit against them because of the chemicals and my concern as a parent would be this is in an area that's very intimate um, and obviously we think about things like laundry powders and things being exposed and get dermatological reactions and other things is that a concern with period pants do you know what I haven't I haven't picked I mean I, I have read a few things about that but I haven't picked up on that as a massive as a massive concern because you're you I've said a whole day you wouldn't really normally wear them for a whole day but you can you know it's the overnight period pants you can wear all night etc specifically designed for that but I haven't heard anything about that no and, and I don't think from all the experts that I'm talking with it's not that that has never come up as a concern with these with these products with these products okay mm. and what about um is there anything that obviously when you go in and you talk to girls in primary school I imagine one of their questions is well how do I know like how do I know when that first period is going to come is there are there signs that girls can be looking for that actually indicates I think that might, might yeah be I think that question came up a lot today and it was um and, and we talk about and they, they you know they talk we talked a lot about discharges so like the fact that like your body like others like you know moisture will be coming out like like thicker fluid will be coming out and that's your body just practicing and getting ready and going through it and do you know like for the first as your body's getting getting used to this puberty you know some people go straight into a regular cycle for other people it takes years to get their regular cycle you, you won't sometimes it will really shock you other times you'll be like oh like I've got a bit crampy the day before oh I've got my period so it does take a while for your body for you to work out what the signs are that your body's going to be having a period and for you to pick up on those signs but now but you know but you and I like as women I know like I just know like you know first of all I'm tracking but even if I wasn't tracking I know that this happens week three I get all the symptoms and then a day before I kind of you know I, I can't sleep as well and I'm like oh yeah my period's coming the next day and so I'm really really in tune with that but at the start during that hormonal roller coaster of puberty you just you don't know and I think that um, and that's why period pants you know we were saying just put you know if you've got a big event and you think god I might be in that zone just put them on it doesn't it's not it doesn't matter it's not going to affect yeah. anything like just just put them on and be prepared and I think that's the um let's not just go oh I've got my period oh gosh that's a shock and and, and it's like it, it's bringing it up into the open and what about sports bras you mentioned there it should just be on the kit list 
from what age are you are you suggesting that well again it's very different depending on um you know how big the breasts are um but i i said to, you know i always say that as soon as you start to notice your breasts like in terms of like you're you're suddenly either a bit more conscious of the fact you know lots of girls wear white uh polo shirts don't they for, for for school sport and it's like as soon as you start to notice that you're like oh either you're a bit conscious that people might be able to see your breasts or that you can feel them then that's when you need to be wearing a sports bra um or if someone else notices so like if maybe like a teacher or a, or a parent notices then that's the time to be getting the sports bras but I think we need to normalize it and get it in sooner rather than later so it's not kind of you know so they get used to it because a lot of girls don't like getting changed at schools they don't want to change out of a normal bra into a sports bra they don't want to they think they think everyone can see they're wearing a sports bra it might feel a little bit tighter than their normal bra so it's just kind of going okay like how do we how do we make that easier for you and mm. and I think the the earlier you bring it in the better mm. yeah I think I think you're right I think we've got quite a way to go on this um and I think you know today open. they were they're always like yeah but the, 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 the huge thing for girls is that the fact that often one breast will develop like faster than the other so they'll be and they and and they are really conscious of that and so today they're like like when does that stop and I was like look it's not like one breast goes boom and one breast like stays back <laughs> it's tiny 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 but tiny in a girl's tiny. mind they think oh my god like one one of my breasts is much bigger than the other like no one else probably notices but for them it's massive but just for me to explain to them that's totally normal like everyone's breasts like are not the same shape or size but like when you're developing it can be a little bit more obvious but most cases only to you but there are things you can do you can pop things into your bra to kind of even it out and that's really standard and normal and they're like oh okay great that sounds like a great idea so they were you know you just have to talk it through with them yeah sounds like you're really reassuring them which is amazing yeah. let's um let's change tack a little bit let's talk about pelvic health it's not something we've talked about yet on the show and I know this is an area you really specialize in and I think most women think about this, don't they, kind of post-pregnancy when they're trying to get things back on track or around the time of menopause if there are issues. But actually, it's a it's something I think we should be thinking about all the way through our lives. Um, tell us more about pelvic health. Yeah, so 40% of athletes will be wetting themselves during training or competition. And that's an average level. So that's 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 40 percent across all sports so if you kind of wanted to individualize it it would be like one to two percent of golfers and it will be 90 percent of gymnasts so 90 percent of gymnasts and trampoline gymnast gymnastics and tra trampolining is the worst and then gymnastics is second um huge huge prevalence rates and these are young athletic top of their game girls who've never had a baby um going down the way it's kind of like um volleyball netball sprinting um basketball anything that involves a lot of jumping and twisting and turning will also have high prevalence rates um and then you know in, and then everyone on this call or everyone listening to this will know that like you know running downhill or kind of um you know like anything that involves impact will, will have high prevalence rates as well um and we're not talking about it because um i think that the menstrual cycle is having its moment right now and I think it's far less of a taboo topic than it was I believe that's because you're meant to have a menstrual cycle and so it's kind of okay to start discussing uh like issues you might be having around it when the pelvic floor doesn't work when the pelvic the pelvic floor is like a roof on a house in a totally different position but it's like the roof on a house when it rains you don't congratulate your roof you don't go oh my gosh well done roof you've done a great job today you you just assume it's going to do its job the pelvic floor is supposed to keep us dry 
and but you don't notice when it does because that's what it's supposed to be doing but when it doesn't work it's basically it's leaking urine having irresistible urges to empty your bowels or empty your bladder and it's painful sex or it's painful you know um internal examinations from a doctor or or that kind of thing and and that stuff that you think especially as athletes especially as high performing women who are nailing certain parts of their life you're like well I'm doing extraordinarily well in all of this stuff how can my body not be doing something that it's that it's pretty fundamental and I feel that that's where a lot of the shame and embarrassment comes from and it's also the thing that we can put up with it's not it's not like a painful knee in terms of like you doesn't like it doesn't stop us from it takes up a lot of headspace but um which is a problem but it's um it's not the same as having like a niggle or an injury um but I think we've got a you know I did a big article in the Telegraph last year and um, I was working with a journalist. I was like, oh, yeah, we're working with this national governing body, this national governing body, this national governing body. Absolutely go to them. We're working with them on this. <laughs> Could they get anyone to talk? No. They were like, yeah, the press teams were like, we don't want any of our athletes associated with that. And, and athletes wouldn't talk about it. They'll talk about periods. They'll talk about training around their periods. They'll even say they haven't got a sports bra that fits them. But it was really hard to find people that would talk about this understandably right I suppose it feels it makes people feel self-conscious because it isn't spoken about um I'm curious as to what really determines that the strength of pelvic floor when you're mentioning it in relation to athletes for example because I guess I had assumed that until you've carried a baby you know your pelvic floor should be performing and and performing that job as a roof what why might it not be so there are two working theories no one actually knows because no one does any research on women, as I'm sure you've discussed many times on this podcast, that only 6% of sports science research is done exclusively on females. And so that's that's everything to do with females. So and the pelvic floor research is even, you know, it's far less than that. But the two working theories are either um, you are doing so much what your body is doing so much work that your that your pelvic floor is so tight and so strong it can't actually resist any pressure because it and, and it and it can't it doesn't have that flexibility and it can't respond so it's too tight and strong and actually that's why um, so when there's an increase in pressure it 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 leaks like you you get these you get this leaking or you get this pain. The other theory is kind of the opposite of that is that you're training, you're training so hard that your pelvic floor is exhausted. So it's kind of, we're not, we're just not sure. We're absolutely not sure that um, there's a brilliant researcher over in Norway that's doing, there's lots of research groups around, around trying to work it out. To be quite honest, a lot of the work is on like, how do we, what do we do to fix the problem? Like people are trying to work out like why, why are athletes have much higher prevalence rates, but a lot of the work is in like, what do we do to prevent this from happening in the what do we do in this prevention space but people don't know and it's one of the only systems in our body that is kind of it's not negatively correlated with physical activity but it's more but it's it's not as it's not positively correlated like our cardiovascular system or our muscle strength or our bone health is you know that says the more exercise you do the better that the healthier your body is actually with pelvic floor the prevalence rates are much higher in athletic populations um and it's and um and we're just not totally sure why, but it's because there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, impact and pressure being put through that system. And we're not training. We are not training the pelvic floors. We're not in, we're not doing isolated work in that space. There's, there are uh, very specialist gynecologists and women's health physiotherapists. They je- they tend to not be working as part of a strength and conditioning team. They will work with women 
um, when they have issues. And so it's in that kind of like, let's let's sort out the problem. And this is very much what we're attempting to do at the well is say, actually strength and conditioning coaches can cope with this, personal trainers can cope with this, normal personal, normal fitness instructors and sports coaches can cope with this. Let's incorporate it into these sessions. So with your 11 year old, it's like, they don't, they don't, they just need to have an awareness of what good bladder health is, what good bowel health is and how to relax and let go and how to feel that part of their body when they're doing their stretches. We don't need to get them on a pelvic floor um, exercise program unless they're in kind of very, very high impact sports. But that's not happening. That's not happening. It's kind of really left until you've got a problem. Mm. That's super interesting. My daughter's a gymnast as well. And I think, um, you know, she's in squad now competing. And it's really interesting what you say there, because it had never occurred to me that having too strong a pelvic floor could be mm. part of the problem. And I do wonder, um, you know, most things seem to be lifestyle dictated and not genetics, but I do wonder whether that plays a part having looked at, you know, when as a mother, when your kids are growing up and you have toddlers and you look at the ability of one child to hold for a long period of time versus another child. And I felt very fortunate. I've always been someone that's been able to do that. And my kids were easy, you know, they were always dry at night and we could go on a long car journey and not worry about it. And I wonder whether they're there is some just inherent like geneticism related to that and your ability to hold the pressure yeah and I, I I'm sure there is but there's also we need to understand that like it's not that this iron bladder this kind of bladder that never needs to release and let go actually is not a badge of honor and it's not something that kind it of could like be a problem it could be a problem yeah can, from what you're saying it can be a problem and so I went to the school today again and I was like saying right so everyone needs to be going emptying their bladders five to seven times a day and so like basically every three hours um and about eight to 12 seconds of urine should be coming out and you could and I had a, a line of girls at the end 10 year old girls who's like I don't go to the toilet at school. I don't go enough. And I actually don't drink because I don't want to go to the toilet at school. Mm. So they are training themselves not to go. And it just means we're not. So as the bladder expands, it's covered in stretch receptors. And those stretch receptors give the signal to the brain that you need you need the toilet. Actually, you can train yourself to override listening to that signal. And that's not a healthy place to be because the bladder is meant to keep you know you're supposed to really go between 200 and 250 mils of urine are supposed to come out now if your bladder is oh you're overstretching that bladder every single day it's not yeah you know, a few instances it's not going to be a big problem but actually as we age our connective tissue loses its elasticity so we don't have that ability to bounce back into a kind of really nice contained shape it just kind of stops being able to do that so we just have to be really encouraging Regu not not all the time we don't have to overdo it we don't have to be hypersensitive but it's that balance isn't it it's getting that balanced approach to it and just making sure that girls everybody feels comfortable going to the toilet wherever they are it's not kind of i only go at home because then they won't go on play dates they won't they won't they'll, they'll be really worried about going on camping trips they won't want to go on school trips they won't want to go away with their squads or their teams and it's really making sure that we just have they understand how important it is to be going to the toilet regularly well, I tell you what's interesting is I, I can share something very personal here that um, that maybe isn't that talks about in relation to pelvic floor. So I being, as I just said there, was someone who as a kid just didn't. I used to hold on to it all the time. And then when I had my first child, it was an emergency C-section. And so we were kind of really rushed through. And in that situation, one of the things that can happen is damage to the bladder. Uh, and so they were never really got to the bottom of what it was. But after having had my son, I went into full retention. So I had absolutely no idea. 
that uh, that had occurred. I thought it was pain from the C-section. And when the midwife came round, she was like, you can't walk. What's going on? Are you taking the pain relief? And I'm like, yeah, I was just really, really struggling to walk. Have you emptied your bladder? No, not really. I was then taken back into hospital because it was getting close to potential renal yeah. failure and had huge amounts of liquid drawn off. And they they don't know if the receptors were messed up yeah. uh, in terms of that, you know, the surgery. But obviously, as you say, there's a communication to the brain. Yeah. I wasn't receiving any communication at all yeah. that there was water in my bladder. And it led to problems in pregnancy to significant uh, stays at hospital trying to get it back. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Is I think we underestimate, we think, oh, great. Yeah, it's really good if you can hold it. Actually, there are potential problems and things that can happen down the line that may even be related from what you're saying to that constant holding. Yeah, and I, for me, it's the, it's, it's the whole piece. When our body and athletes are so, well, high performers, athletes are so, bad at listening to their body we are brilliant at telling our body what to do we're brilliant at saying we want to do this therefore to do this I must do this and I I'll I'll train even if I don't want to I will train when I'm tired I will push through pain I'm so driven but the consequences of that is that we we we're, we're not that good at listening to the signals our body is genuinely giving us and and um and believing and trusting them and a really basic example of that is I need to go to the loo. Like that is, that is just us connecting in with what our body's telling us. And it's the, um, and the, the consequences of not doing that. I mean, yours was a really extreme, you know, story and case there, but the consequences of not doing that are girls choosing not to do sport athletes to athletes stopping drinking at lunchtime in the, in the belief that they won't, that they won't be leaking girls being really constipated and the constipation, um, you know, has a huge, we're not excreting the waste products from our body and because they you know because we're so because women are so constipated most you know especially when we get into midlife women are a lot a lot more constipated than men and it and it impacts their pelvic pelvic health but also their overall health because we're not excreting all the waste products mm. but we're not allowed to go children are not allowed to leave the classroom often to go to the toilet like that yeah, you know, I, I and get there was a, my kids saying I can't go to the toilet. No, and so. there's um there was I think it was Bristol. There was a there were riots outside um a school or there was a, some kind of protest outside a school because they were saying they said well you can go to the girls can go to the toilet if they if they're on their period and they hold up a red flag. You're like sorry what like so now oh so so the rule was don't go to, go to the toilet at break times, um don't disrupt lessons. But they're like but if you're on your period hold up a red flag or use a code word we're like no we need to stop this nonsense we need to call it what it is call it a period don't give it a, don't use a euphemism don't tell girls to hold up a red flag which will give the sign they need the like let's just be mature and grown up about it and i absolutely know that that system will be abused or like you know like some people will be taking the mick out of it but the the so honestly, there's a whole chapter in this book about going to the toilet and my kids are like seven and eight. They're like, I can't believe you've written a book about toilet. Like, it's essential. It's absolutely essential. And it's something that um, it has such an impact on people, on people's health and enjoyment of their bodies. And we're just, we're, you shouldn't have to read a chapter in a book about how to go to the toilet, but yeah. we just, we don't instinctively know enough about it. No, we don't. And you're informing me because honestly, I hadn't realized that that was potentially a bad thing. Um, what about women that um, obviously pregnancy itself puts a lot of pressure, delivery puts pressure. What should women in that kind of postnatal category be thinking about in terms of exercises? Because in this case, I think we want to kind of strengthen it back up a bit. Mm, absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, again, for people that are in that um, 
high performance space, they'll often have decided before they have the baby what they're going to do. So they might be like, right, I'm entering an Ironman at this time, or I, you know, I want to get back in the squad by this time, or this is, I want to get back into regular training by this time. I think, um, like, birth, you can't prepare yourself for childbirth, regardless of how many books you read, how many like classes you go to. It's like, it's nothing like you can prepare yourself for. Um, and I think just giving yourself like that breathing space and really connecting in with you and saying, like, where am I at? Like, where where am I at? How much sleep am I getting? How much support do I have? How was my like, you know, you've described your birth. That's that's tra- that is full on and traumatic. There is oh, zero God. chance you would be any place mentally or physically to do anything like, you know, like you had have done. Uh, post-pregnancy with that that takes a long time to recover from an emergency mm. c-section going back to hospitals bladders that haven't emptied except you know and you're looking and you're trying to keep a baby alive and care for them and work <laughs> out how on earth to be a new mum um, and there's, uh, there's some absolutely brilliant research uh, published in 2019 by a group of irish physios um which was like called return to running it's it all about running but it was return to running guidance postnatally and it was the first time that it's that anyone has really boldly gone out there and said right it's Basically everybody, unless you have a really individualized support team around you who of, of highly of specialists, nobody should be doing any impact before 12 weeks. And then everyone after 12, then after 12 weeks, you can then kind of like start a, a staggered return to exercise and training. That is really big news for many people. Like I think they really underestimate how long it takes to recover there's a lot of injuries acl injuries isn't there happening in football right now and uh, you know the arsenal squad have got like four people out four players out in the last five months with an acl um with acl tears we know the, the return to play guidance for acl is like nine to ten months and that's it that's if you're in arsenal and can get a you know an operation the next day the expectation of mothers to return to sport or training it's weeks it's like oh yeah no i'll be back on court or i'll be back in the gym like six to eight <laughs> weeks later and that's right. that's a that's that's not okay mm. so we um you can start your pelvic floor exercises as soon as you are ready but that doesn't mean you know that that's just where is it can i feel it can i connect with it can i breathe like where is it you can start that as soon as you're ready um like broadly you know you and and also that you know, people have babies and they've got other kids at home so we have to be active we have to be moving around but in terms of returning we 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 call it like return to exercise return to exercise is kind of the same protocol and that takes 12 weeks for broadly speaking everybody 12 weeks 12 weeks to 12 months is your return to training and competition and that's kind of how we like to see to to explain it and that kind of like then then just calmed everyone down because birth birth and being a new mum is huge 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 and it's not something that we can and i i have a real bee in my bonnet about um uh, people being celebrated like bouncing back so that kind of like oh look at so and so she's like gone to the olympics or she's like a world champion within it i like okay like well done you but that's not but we don't know how she's done it we don't know how much support she's got we don't know what her birth was like we don't know what support team she's got around it and i think if we understood that bit it would really reassure those people that are like not in that situation that they you know they need a bit more time 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think it's just such a massive change having been through it myself. And, you know, yeah. we need to support women much more on every level. I don't, I don't think women in general, my experience, are supported on any of the changes that are happening in that respect. Um, you know, right through to things like I suffer terribly with postnatal depression. I don't think there is enough support. I think it's like, oh, yeah, it's with hormones or it's this. And, you know, eventually it will just go kind of thing. Um, and I think the I think people really that tricky. are used to and I imagine lots of people listening to this podcast have a great game face do you know like they kind of have a great game face and they've, they've been really successful in most areas of their lives and I remember the health visitor coming in with a great big beaming smile on her face saying oh wow you're doing really well and she didn't even give me a didn't give me a beat to go that I doesn't feel like I am like I'm I'm not I didn't have postnatal depression I wasn't there was but I was really struggling like wow look at your baby it's amazing oh gosh you're doing really well and I'm like, yeah, no, I this this okay. You're telling me I'm doing well, okay. If this is well, okay, right, great, fine. I must be okay. But I'm like, I am, I am not okay here. And it took me years. It took me years to then go and ask for help. Like, and I, I, I had, I went and got like therapy to kind of get over my birth experience four years after having my baby. Um, and and I just think if someone had just said, Baz, how are you? Are you are you actually are you sure you're okay? And just slowed the conversation down. And allowed me to not be this Baz that's an athlete, Baz that's a businesswoman, Baz that's that, and just say, God, like, are you all right? Because you that that birth sounds pretty full on. Like, mm. I'd have literally gushed. I'd have literally, I'd all come out. But no one did give, and I'm not blaming it. Well, I am, but I think that when you're in a space of high, when you're when you come when you're in a high achieving space, it actually does take quite. It's, it's quite hard to kind of get through to people isn't it like us to say you sure you're all right I think I think you're absolutely I think you're absolutely right I think as you say you have a game face and you put it on and you think you should cope with everything and I sometimes think for a woman who has been performing really well there's an expectation from some of the medical professionals um I remember falling pregnant actually very quickly after my first a bit like you you got two very close together mm. and because of all the problems I'd had with retention in that second pregnancy it was showing up and I had pelvic disproportion so they'd figured out I was going to have to have c-sections going forward but i was told well there's problems with your bladder and this is really risky so you're going to need to self-catheterize at home i was horrified i was like yeah. like I, I don't even understand how to do that i'm not medically yeah. trained i'm a lawyer i don't know what you're talking about and it was it was horrible it was really really as you say traumatic and stressful and i think that there is an expectation that as women whatever just comes along we have to get on with and i think more support is needed on every level all the way through um everyone's got very good as you say talking about the menstrual cycle and about menopause but we're not talking about all the in-between stuff the teenage years and then the kind of postpartum the pregnancy and the middle bit right there's yeah. a whole bit leading up to it yeah um so I'm glad that you're doing this the book the female body burgle is is an amazing book it's it's uh it's a bestseller I believe is it not Sunday Times can we say that yeah. we can Sunday Times can bestseller that, yeah. which is pretty amazing and it's going to educate women just before you go tell us what other things we've talked about pelvic floor we've talked about girls what other kind of things can listeners expect from the book from the book yeah so we cover hormonal contraception as well um, and we cover um there's a brilliant chapter on injury and but not it's called bodies that move well and it focuses on like why are women more likely to get injured than men but also what can we do about it so 
there's a whole section on strength and conditioning for females, which is just fantastic. Um, and then concussion. We talk, we talk a lot about concussion and the gender gaps mm. in concussion and the research around that. There's obviously stuff on nutrition, how we how women respond to coaching and how, um, you know, we like there isn't there's, there isn't a different there isn't a, a male brain and a female brain but there are there are huge differences in terms of like how females respond to coaching so it's a real broad brush, uh, brush. and we also get a bit ranty against the patriarchy at some stages in it as well <laughs> uh, but we don't indulge in that too much <laughs> amazing amazing it sounds like you've covered everything like with concussion as well because that's just such a common problem that people are dealing with and the thing with the concussion right is it's un- it's always unexpected you never expect to yes. be concussed and it can and, happen at any point in your yes. life not just from sport and that's the problem with injury you know working out how often do people get injured and how often do people get concussed it's always retrospective and it's that kind of and it's really hard to gather the evidence around like around concussion you know because you think of all the games and all the matches and everything that's happening every day of the week it's really hard to work out actually like what you know how many people are getting concussed and what's the impact of it but we know that girls are twice as likely as boys to be concussed and they are less likely to be removed from the field of play and their symptoms are more extreme and their return to play is longer but that that conversation is not happening as often as it should be no and that's an important conversation that needs to happen um before you go give me three things that girls should be thinking about and three things as mothers to take to take care of ourselves and our daughters what should we be thinking about what are the top three for each category so three things that girls should be thinking about yeah so First three all, things yeah. that go- the girls that should be thinking about is um uh menstrual cycles that their period is their superpower so like their period is an absolute vital sign of health food is fuel and like if you're if you're not eating well it doesn't matter how much training how much academic how much music practice you're doing none of it's going to work unless you're eating really really well and that um and that and i'm gonna say i'm gonna try and put this into a third point around going to the going to the toilet and like yeah being comfortable going to the toilet I think those would be my three things for girls and for mother I'm going to say for mums and dads I think that like you know we can't I I think we need to really broaden it out to say that um it we need to get away from the fact that only women can talk to girls or women can only talk to women about this stuff we need to broaden it out I think that anyone supporting girls or being active um we all need to stay in the room so like whenever a conversation comes up around breasts or pill the pill or like the men might not be able to talk about it, but they need to stay in the room. That's what I, you know, I really feel they need to, they, they need, when, when I'm at doing schools talks, the dad's like, what can I do? I'm like, stay in the room. Don't leave. Yes. When the period chat happens, you might not be able to have anything, but like two days later, you can say, oh God, like, yeah, no, I heard about that. Like, can we have a talk about it? Like, so stay, men need to stay in the room. Um, I think as mothers, we need to check in with our relationship with food and we need to be really, conscious of what are the things we are saying or giving out when we're not in nutrition mode so like when we're not in like you know when we're not in like positively affirming like everything around food what what is like leaking out of us and what what are our kids actually listening to and seeing I think that our relationship with food is like you know has a huge influence on our family's relationships with food um and then I think the third thing I would do for women would be um like being able to like is is that kind of being it's exercising in a way that makes you feel brilliant and just being and being really honest about that not exercising or training or being a part of a sport that you you feel you have to be but what is what really tapping into what is working for you 
at this life stage, whether that's a hormonal life stage or that's just like, you know, a, a practical life stage, like what is working for you and how can exercise really enhance like, you, you know, the experience of life you're having. I love that. So true. And it changes all the way through. And I love what you say about men staying in the room. I try to keep, well, I do keep my boys in the room. My daughter's got two brothers. In fact, we were talking about periods at breakfast this morning, just in general conversation and her brother's there because actually that's going to change the future generations, right? He's listening to it. He's going to have a girlfriend. He's, you know, and I just think, yeah, I agree with you. Why can't it? It's normal. Why can't we talk about it everywhere? I love it. I love your approach. I've had so much fun chatting to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And to everyone listening, go and grab your coffee before it sells out. It's uh, it's a Sunday time bestsellers. Thanks, Baz. Thank you for listening to today's show and for your interest in health optimization for high performance. If you're new to my podcast, you may be interested to know that you can get a free health score and report complete with personalized recommendations on how to optimize your sleep, nutrition, fitness, and resilience in the top link in the show notes below. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Links to everything we talked about are also in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe for more.